At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Real Wealth, Real Health, the show that empowers you with insights, information, and inspiration to achieve your version of financial wellness. Learn how to balance living a full life today with planning for the future. This podcast is brought to you by Alpha Investing, a real estate-centric private capital network that provides exclusive investment opportunities to its members. And now, here are your hosts, Ada Piedrico and Daniel Coca. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Real Wealth, Real Health. Our guest today is Janine Furpo. Janine has a long history of values-aligned investing and working at the intersection of women and money. She is the author of Activate Your Money, co-founder of Invest for Better, and lead investor of Next Wave Impact, which is a fund designed to help more women become angel investors. In our conversation today, Janine and I talk about the way that wealth is one of our most powerful tools for living out our values in a way that makes an impact. Janine explains how values-aligned investing can apply to every part of your portfolio, far beyond ESG funds or even philanthropy. She also discusses the importance of having honest conversations about money with the people around you and shares her perspective on the way values-aligned investing impacts the real estate sector. Janine, it's so good to see you. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I I really wanted to bring you on because you are the only person that I've come across in my investment travels and adventures that has a really good grip on values-based investing that isn't the broad stroke ESG responsible investing. And it's something that that I'm really passionate about understanding. And so this is your area of expertise. And so I really wanted to, to have this conversation today. That's great. And I love the fact that you talked about it as values-based and not ESG, because I think there's so many words out there in the universe, impact investing, conscious investing, ESG investing, all of these different things. It gets really confusing. And they also are super segmented. So like ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance, references a set of criteria, but it's usually applied to the stock market. That's it. And I'm actually on a journey to have all of my money, every single dollar from my savings and checking account, all my public investments, all my private investments, my real estate, you name it, aligned in things that make me feel good and that help me feel like I'm creating a better world with my money. And so when I wrote my book, Activate Your Money, about how to do this, I started calling it Values Aligned Investing because I think that's what it really is. It's like, what are your values? Who are you? And what do you want your money to be doing and creating in the world? Yes. The serendipity of us meeting and we met through How Women Lead is that 
just just like a couple of weeks ago, I published an article on LinkedIn that was all about values aligned investing on those principles. What are my personal values and how do I translate those into my investment decisions? And I didn't have enough space to write about how ESG is not, it's just not that. And I and it's really important because in a I think in an investing world where we're basically told to outsource our investment decisions to the index fund, put it in the, and nothing against robo advisors, but just because it says ESG on a, a mutual fund doesn't mean that it's really doing what I think people want it to do. And so there's, there's just this level of like, just park it over there. It's got the label on it, but in reality, there a lot of times when I've looked into them, it's the same stocks as in, non-ESG funds. And, and so what impact are we really having if, if we do it that way? Well, there's a lot of greenwashing going on, which is what you're describing, which is funds that say they're doing something but aren't really. The good news is there's a couple of really strong tools online that are completely free that anyone can use that lets you really look under the covers of any fund and see what's really in it. It gives them grades. So one of my favorite tools is called as you so invest your values, you can just Google that and find it. And it will tell you how a particular fund rates based on fossil fuels, gender equity, prisons, guns, weapons, deforestation. There are about seven different metrics. There's also a site called Ethos ESG, Just Capital. So there are a number of different sites that we can use to get clarity on what's in our public equity index funds or ETFs. There's nothing that's perfect right now. So you might find a fund that's doing super great, for example, on being clean in terms of fossil fuels, but it's not doing as well on prisons. Or you can find something that's not doing, that's doing really well on gender, but it's not doing as well on something else. So we're in a bit of an imperfect world right now. And I think that's going to be the case for a little while, but there are fortunately really great resources for us to help us with that. The other thing though, is the whole broader brush of this, right? And really looking across all of our asset classes and and thinking about our values. So one of the things that I recommend is using something called the uh, sustainable development goals. I don't know if you've heard of these, but these are 17 goals. They're things like no poverty, eliminate hunger, gender diversity, social equity, sustainable cities and and urban areas and, and rural areas, climate change, clean water, 17 goals that were established and ratified by 193 countries of the United Nations and that governments everywhere, corporations everywhere and individuals everywhere are working to achieve. So what I did is I went in, I looked at these 17 goals, I picked five. I said, from this day forward, all of my investing and all of my philanthropy is going toward these five goals. And that really helped me as I was looking at my different choices to streamline that, put focus on it, and begin to feel like I have some sort of strategy around what I'm doing. And when you think about ESG, my five values don't necessarily... They don't fit in an ESG bucket. They're bigger than that. Wow. And what would like, how do you bring in the personal values 
in like, like into, like into that equation. Cause to some degree, and I'll explain what I mean to some degree, you know, like if it's in that ESG or the, the 17 things, they might be, um, you know, it might be um, environmental preservation and it might be water and it might be, you know, birth rates, like just things that, things that happen, a lot of things that happen to women, things like that. And then there, there's a set of values that are my, like my personal values and what I can do to facilitate those. So a simple one for me is the, the value that I, that I place on my family and, and wanting to provide stability. And so for me, passive income is one of those things. And so like the, the ability for me to wrap in what I need on a practical level that, that gives me that value that I have here. So that is providing for me. And so how do I do that? And so I strategize around what can I do to make that happen? And also time being one of my values. And so like, what, what are your thoughts on that? And does that factor into the way that you think about your investing? Absolutely. So investing is like the kind of investing I do is like a cake. Okay. So what you're talking about, the stuff related to, I want to make sure that there's enough money for my, my family. I want some kind of passive income stream. I have these various goals and ambitions with my money, and I want to learn how to invest and make investment choices that achieve those goals. That's the cake. Without the cake, without the core foundational aspect of a pastry, you have nothing. But what makes the pastry awesome is the icing. It's what you put on top of it, right? And so for me, that's where the values piece comes in, is that is another piece that you add to your entire investment strategy and investment approach that doesn't in any way diminish or take away from the practicalities that you're talking about. Because if you don't have them, the icing on its own is nothing. Right. It's got to go on the cake. But if all you have is the cake, then there isn't the same sense of fulfillment and enjoyment and, and just deep appreciation of how your money is actually being used and what you're doing and how you're showing up in the world, right? I think for a lot of us, we want to live lives of meaning. We want to create a world that's better than the one we left behind. We get joy from knowing that our, we're living lives of purpose. We talk a lot about how we spend our dollars. We talk a lot about the things that we can do for our communities, et cetera. We haven't really thought about our money that much. And the truth of the matter is, if, if you know anything about Lynn Twist and the soul of money, I mean, she talks about how important this is and it's kind of an extension of ourselves, right? It is an extension of ourselves. And what we don't think about is the fact that every single dollar that we have, even the dollars that are sitting in the bank in our checking and savings account are being used by someone to some end. And the question is, to what end? Is that end something that you appreciate and support? Or is that end something that you're getting your sign out and going and picketing or walking in a march or voting against. Your money could be undermining the very things that you're trying to do with the rest of your life, right? That's crazy. 
So if we can just become more aware of what our money is doing, we can make choices in every single asset class that gets us closer to the things we want to see. Oh, wow. That's, that's a lot to consider that in, in a way, right? It's, it's a lot to consider because here, I'm going to say it this way. I'm somebody who goes really deep. I will go very deep into things. I will overwhelm myself because I want to understand everything about everything. And sometimes that money trail can be really hard to follow. And then, and then you think, well, what are my options? And then sometimes you feel like you don't have options because then you have to go on another track and then find the options and then do your research. And then how do you know that, that this company is, is more aligned to me than the other. So, and I'm somebody who's willing to do the work to figure it out. And, and so what would you say to somebody who's thinking, gosh, like, how do I, where would I even start to know? How do I audit a company? And then what do I do when I find out that I thought I was doing the right thing? And then it turns out that I wasn't. So this is why I wrote Activate Your Money. This is exactly why I wrote Activate Your Money, because research shows that 84% of women and 95% of millennials want to invest their money in ways that are meaningful to them. Yet no one is really helping us do it. It feels overwhelming. And so the way that I wrote the book is that the mid section of the book, which is the bulk of it actually goes asset class by asset class. And it, at first it explains, what is this? How does it work? What are the traditional ways in which you invest in this particular asset class? Because what I've learned is a lot of women don't even know these basic things. So I didn't set out to write a book that also teaches women some of the basics, but that's what I ended up writing because I realized that was a need. Mm -hmm. And then it says, okay, once you understand this, like once you understand that in the stock market, for example, there's things called actively managed accounts and passively managed accounts. What does that mean? And you've learned that there are things called index funds or ETFs. What does that mean? And you've learned that there's something called large cap or mid cap or international or so I I demystify all of these terms and explain how to think about investing in the stock market. And then I say, okay, and here's where you go find the values aligned opportunities. Every chapter ends with a take action section, tell you what to do. There is a website called activateyourmoney.net that is set up where there is a chapter on the, there's a chapter setting on the website where you go to a take action section in the chapter and you download worksheets, toolkits, forms, go to videos that I've created. All of it's completely free. That takes you through that take action piece. The other thing is because I've been in investment clubs myself many times and had great, great learning in them, I co-founded last year a nonprofit called Invest for Better. And what we're doing is we're putting women in investment clubs. We call them circles. They're pure led. And we provide everything you need to run a circle, super easy lift. And we put women in circles and we help them learn together. We use the book and we help them learn how to do this together. The other thing that I think is really important in getting started is recognizing that investing is more like a marathon than a sprint. It's something you're going to do for a long time and you have to just keep at it. 
don't freak yourself out. Don't expect to do everything tomorrow. Don't make yourself wrong if it's taking longer than you thought because life is intervening. And just pick one asset class and start there and say, you know what? I don't know what Wells Fargo is doing with my money. I don't know what JP Morgan is doing with my money. I don't like that. I don't know what they're doing. And my digging into figuring out is going to be way too much work. But I do know that there is this bank in my community that is providing loans to female entrepreneurs, giving home loans to underserved populations, and actually serving the people in my community that that big bank isn't. That's an easy choice. I'm going to just move my money from the big bank to that bank. Done. And if it feels like it's a big deal to move your checking account, then just move your savings account. That's a first step, right? Then you can look at fixed income and, and look at, at, there are options in the bond market that you could move your money into that are much more values aligned and so on asset class by asset class. Oh, amazing. Oh yeah. Your book is going to be a real, that sounds like exactly what people need, which is that the actionable and where do I, and where do I go next? So, and I think that's where we get stuck is like, I want to do this. I have good intentions and then quote unquote, life gets in the way. And so I'm just going to do the path of least resistance, which is maybe what I was alluding to before about the paintbrush of this is ESG and it's in, you know, I can put it in my 401k and not think about it, but you know, it's like outsourcing the due diligence piece of it, which to some degree, I think is still really important for all of us to do because then at least for, for me, I'm curious what you think is that if I know what I've invested in and you've spent a little bit of time, maybe I can't get to the very bottom of, of everything, but I've at least made a decision. I had agency over that. I'm going to feel better about it. And it does, it changes something inside of me versus something that's completely passive that I, that I quite frankly don't care about. I almost feel like I'm not going to make as good returns on that. It's like a strange energetic thing for me where, you know, like my energy and my attention goes here and the focus and like watering a plant and, and just having done that work feels good. And I feel more empowered mm -hmm. than, Oh, I don't have time. Let me just, you know, let me just make this quick decision. I don't have time to look into it. And I usually always regret those and they're not, they're not even worth it. I may as well have just waited, had the patience to wait. So that like, for me, I find that that's a, that's a really big piece of it. It's worth doing the work. Right. But that, but we're all very busy and women in particular are very busy. Right. So I think another fallacy of the way the current financial system thinking story has been set up is that this is an individual sport mm -hmm. and it's not, this can be a team sport. So part of the way I agree with you, knowing, having done your due diligence and knowing yourself that you feel good about whatever you're investing in gives you a, a different level of confidence. And it, it's just a completely different feeling, but you don't necessarily have to do all the work yourself. And that again is the value of doing this in conjunction with other women, right? So the very first investment club that I was ever in was in the early 1990s when people still, everyone was basically buying stock in the stock market through individual stocks, the index funds, the ETFs, all that stuff wasn't really there yet. So I belonged to this club and we would get together once a month, we'd have dinner together, we'd socialize, we had fun. 
And then we would sit down and we'd do our work. And at the end, we would all be given some homework of different companies to go do research on. And we'd come back the next month with our findings. Well, there were 15 or 16 women in that club. I only had to do research on one company, but I got 14 other people's research the following month. And then we talked about it and we would decide together what felt like the right things for us to do. And we would all go out and make our own decisions, but the workload was distributed, which was huge. And, you know, I learned to trust who I trusted and who I didn't trust in terms of that research. And, and it really helped me get to my result a lot faster. So that's a very similar thing that we're doing through the Invest for Better circles too, is, is lightening that load. And the other thing that I think is really important is money is such a taboo subject. We don't talk about it. And that really needs to change as well. And you know, in clubs that I've run, it's really interesting to just listen to other women's stories about money, even just starting there, because we tend to think that the way we think about money is true, like the true. It's like, this is, this is the fact of life, the way I think about money. Uh-huh. And the truth is it's not. And that other somebody else has their true that's very different than yours. And so being able to learn that and, and take these blinders off a bit I think is also incredibly empowering. It it is. The I was just thinking about taking a month to do research on a company versus how we make decisions today. Let me take a quick look at this chart and let me, you know, try to like backtrack and, and figure it out. And then everything is so fast. Everything is so fast these days, but it doesn't have to be okay. so fast. And yeah, I think it I think it's challenging. I know definitely for for women to feel like it's an admitting that they don't know something and that they need help because we function in this world where we're sort of not allowed to say we don't know something or that we need, we need help, but we have to work two, three, four, five times as hard and, and never show a crack. And then when it comes to money, especially, I think that that so many women that I've met too, they don't even, they don't even feel comfortable with the word. They think they, and yet it's like you said, it's really empowering. It's been my experience that money is there to help like us growing our wealth is empowering for us. And it's empowering for our families. It's empowering for our communities. It's empowering for the world because we put that money, you know, aligning to our values and like ethical beliefs and, and where we put it makes a difference because that's just the world that we live in. Like, this is how it works. And if we, if we live in, in this ideology that it's bad to want it, mm-hmm. then we're never going to have it. And then we may not even be able to use it appropriately in a way that really helps. Like we're talking about investing and most people, men and women, would think, well, my money helps when I donate it. That is the right way to do it. I know that investing, but choosing who you invest with, like that's a different form of charity, if you will. It's giving money that goes into the economy. It, it is a different purpose and it's very empowering to the person receiving it. You and I are both angel investors. So we know that that it's very empowering to, to, to give money to a founder 
in a field and subfield like minority woman, disenfranchised, and they're going to go out and they're going to change something because we have the financial ability to put that in their hands and they go and do it. You're 100% right. In fact, it's so important for women to be angel investors and to do that kind of thing because of all the venture capital um, investment that was made in this country in 2020, only 2.2% went to female CEOs, right? So by 2030, according to McKinsey and Company, women are going to control the majority of money in this country. And the truth of the matter is that power goes where money flows. And so if we start to say, you know what? We're not going to put our money in that stuff anymore. We're going to put our money in these kinds of things. You know, we're going to put our money in female founders. We're going to put our money in products that women have dreamt up for us, for things that we've needed forever that men have not made for us because they don't understand us. We're going to put our money in empowering other women. We're going to put our money into making sure our kids and grandchildren have clean water and a safe environment to live in and aren't like crowded. It's not like Soylent Green. I don't know if you remember that movie, but I saw it. So Soylent Green talks about a time in the future when it's incredibly hot on the planet, when people are living in crowded cities, when all of the natural places are gone, when the food sources have been reduced to this like weird, they call it Soylent. It's like this weird condensed, thing that has no taste. I mean, that's the way people live. I mean, who wants to live that way? Who wants that world for our kids, right? So we have the opportunity as women to really change the skew of the economy, which I think is really, really important. And what you said too, is we are trained in two pocket thinking. So we're trained in, we have one pocket of money that is meant to maximize return regardless of what it's doing. And we have the other pocket of money that we use to do good in the world and that's called philanthropy. And there's a couple of challenges with that. One challenge is the pocket of money that we're doing to grow our wealth at the exclusion of everything else is way bigger most of the time than the pocket of money for philanthropy. So then the question is, which is actually having a bigger impact? right? So is that philanthropy really making a difference? Or is the bigger pocket of money actually helping to create the conditions that require you to have the philanthropy in the first place? The other thing, so I was in my career, I had a 35 career year career first in tech for about 15 years, and then in how to apply technology to solve poverty, problems of poverty in developing countries around the world. And I was involved in something called microfinance, which was giving small loans to women, small, like 50 to a couple hundred dollars to help bring them out of poverty. And it worked. The challenge was that at the time that I got involved in around 2000, 100 million people were being served through microfinance, which is a lot of people. But the need was 2.5 billion. Wow. So there was no way that philanthropy, which was the what was underwriting microfinance at that time, was going to grow 25 times larger to meet the need. It wasn't going to happen. So people started looking at, could you commercialize microfinance? Could you make it 
you know, profitable and viable? And could we apply technology in a way that would make it more scalable and lower costs? Well, 17 years later, microfinance has been commercialized and there's a lot more money flowing into it. There's a lot more microfinance available and technology was applied to it in such a successful way that it spawned an entire industry called mobile money, which uses the mobile phone as the vehicle for banking people. That now has over 1.3 billion accounts around the world and transacts $2 billion a day in transactions. So, and based on when, as of 2017, the number of unbanked people, which we were trying to solve for, went down to 2 billion as of 2017. I don't know what it is today, but the point is that it, we got a five time growth in the number of banked people through investment, not through philanthropy. So they're both important. I don't think investment solves every problem and I don't think we should do away with philanthropy, but I think that we can use that corpus of our money, the bulk of our money in much more meaningful ways to create much greater change in this world. And oh we don't think God. about that enough. No, we don't. And I love this conversation because we're bringing it forward because I know a lot of people are gonna think about things so much, so much differently, so much differently now. And I'm, I'm curious just really quickly to when you talked about like different asset classes, in your view, how do you think that investing in real estate can align to your values? So that's a great question. So I think that there are several ways. So first of all, there's the whole opportunity to think green. So you can think about real estate ventures that are ensuring that a, a home is net zero energy or our office is net zero energy. So there's that. There's another element about, you know, where you're actually putting the real estate. So are you looking at maybe doing some real estate investing in communities that have maybe been looked over in communities where there's a real need for lower cost housing? Can you think about workforce housing and, and actually building real estate to meet that need. There are, you know, ways that you can think about real estate in relation to community and how we can start thinking about creating a sense of community again in places that have lost that. So I think that that's such an important thing and, and mixed use buildings. There are many ways to think about real estate in very creative ways that uplift people's lives. So one of the sustainable development goals that I have personally chosen for my money is around sustainable, livable cities and communities. And so for me, real estate can be applied to that goal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And there's a lot of innovation happening and it brings in AI and it brings in green and it brings in that community aspect is, is really, is really important. We, we, we're doing some projects with operator in, in Chicago and it was an affordable housing. And one of the, one of the things that they do is they build the community of the people that are, that are living there. And because they do it that way, people take better care of 
the units that that they live in and they had an app for them and they have different things that that create that community which fundamentally i mean where we live has an our environment has an impact on everything uh, even our perception of, of of success or when we invest with our our senior housing operator they're they're buying distressed assets that are not run appropriately and usually what that ends up being in addition to the financial aspect is the residents aren't cared for well enough that's like a human issue like you know and so there's there's a lot of different there's a lot of different ways and yes everybody can make money that whether this is part of it as you know, investments, we were here to make money, but like you said really well, it doesn't have to be only that. It's not mutually exclusive to also being able to do something good with it. And now more than ever, we have so much choice if we want to take the time to do the research and get into it. And 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 your book has a starting point for how do I even how do I even do that? And I'm hoping that from this conversation, people can tell that like you actually can already do it. But having a roadmap, I think, in your book is going to be really helpful. Well, I appreciate that. And I love what you said about community. I mean, it's the thing that I am thinking about increasingly. You know, I watched my mom go into a senior living facility. She loved it. So I'm really happy about that. But I was very clear when I would go to visit her that this was so not what I want my future to be. And I'm thinking about, you know, how can I use some of my capital and I haven't figured this out yet. So if any of your listeners have ideas, I'd love to hear them, but I'm trying to think about how can I use some of my capital to create a community that is not just old people. I do not want to grow old with just old people. Mm -hmm. I want to grow old with young people. I want to, you know, be around little kids and, and people of all ages. And so how do we start to go back to those times where maybe we don't all live just with our own family, but we live in community that is diverse and multi-age and, and, you know, multi-racial and, and not just put our old people away in these. I mean, when my mom was in the one that she was in, they would have movie night. They were watching movies from the forties because that's when they were in their twenties. It's like, (sighs) I want to be watching movies from the current time because I'm hip enough to like (laughs) find it interesting. I don't want to stop living. And that's what I think happens a lot of times in, in our society is when people get to be a certain age, they're just considered that they just want to go back and reminisce and, and we're forcing them into situations like that. And I want more than that for my, myself and for the people around me. Yeah. Well, what I know for sure is that when we decide we want to change something, that's like, that's innovation. I don't like the way this exists. So I'm going to, I want something different. And then you start to say it. And then other people think, oh, I want that too. I didn't know that you wanted that. And then it starts the change. So I I do hope that somebody listening is probably thinking the same exact thing and, and how and how we, and how we do this. <laughs> so, I would love that. I can use help on this one. I yeah. can use some help. So. Yeah. Well, Jeanine, I have one last question for you and then, and then I will let you go. It's a question that I ask all my guests and that is what does wealth mean to you? Freedom and choice. You know, when I think of wealth, I think of money, but if you think beyond that, I give myself just that moment to have thought a little more It's that around the financial piece, but it is also community. 
It's actually people who show up for you and for whom you show up regardless of what's going on. Oh, that's beautiful. That community piece. It's a thread for you. You're building community with invest for better. You're, you're, that's, you're focused on that with your investing and with real estate and whatever this new endeavor that might come through is for the, the new way of living. And, and so what a beautiful theme and way to, to really end such a amazing conversation. Thank you so much for, for coming on and, and sharing and we'll share all the links to the websites and the books and some of the things that you recommended as well, so that people can come and find you, join a circle, use your book as a guide and, and support you with, with the nonprofit that you're running. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. It's really been delightful to talk to you. Truly. I look forward to more conversations. Me too. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Real Wealth, Real Health. We hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and found it both informative and insightful. We welcome all your questions and your feedback about today's episode. And especially, we welcome your questions about specific topics that you would like us to cover. So shoot us an email at podcast at alphai.com. And if you have a moment, we really appreciate ratings and reviews as it helps us grow our online community and our interactions with you. And we'll also be linking to a number of relevant articles on topics that we might have touched on during our conversations. Some of them are broad, some of them are technical, but we're always aiming to provide information that helps you better understand the mechanics of building this healthy financial foundation, especially if you're looking to do this with real estate. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.